Good morning. How's everyone this fine day? We are, uh, we are wrapping up a series today called Old School. And uh, it's been a good series. To be honest with you, it's been different than I thought it would be. Um, and it feels like God's taking us back to some foundational things as, as Christians that, you know, for whatever reason, it's easy to get away from or easy, easy to allow certain um, of these things to become secondary in importance or beyond secondary in, in importance in our lives. And so um, it, it really hasn't been exactly how we planned it, but I'm very happy it's come out how it, how it has because I believe God is at work and, you know, he has the liberty at any given time to change what we're talking about, what we're planning on talking about. And um, so it's really been uh, deep in the sense that it's going... It's, it's taking us to a place where God is wanting to reestablish foundations in our lives and emphasize their importance in our lives. And if we have gotten away from them, the challenge is to, you know, to turn, uh, to get back to these foundations and, and go uh, with reckless abandon after God. Um, so today I'm excited to close this series, and I feel like this, this message is a vital one. Um, I, I was going to preach something along the lines of this message three weeks ago, the second message in the series, and I just couldn't, it couldn't, it didn't come together for me, and I kept on saying altar. I feel like God wants me to talk about the altar, but it never came to, it never formulated, and I didn't know why, and so I just went on, and I felt like uh, it switched, and we, we spoke about prayer in the second week, um, but it hasn't gotten out of my mind, um, what, and I couldn't, again, I couldn't formulate what it was, and that's why I had, to, I had to move on. But it was something based upon what God has done at the altar. And um, I, I think I got it now today. And so what I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about today is rapid repentance. Repentance is, is uh, for many, it's, it's one of those things like, oh boy, here we go. I think this is a very, uh, I, I think this is a very encouraging message, um, but I feel like this is one of the keys that will unlock our spiritual life to move to where God wants us to be. It'll, it'll unlock the things that are holding us back and, and move us, position us to a place where God is, is, uh, is greater and bigger in our eyes and in our lives. Sometimes we, there's a phrase that goes around, you know, you've made God too small in your eyes. Well, uh, we're, we're all about magnifying God and making him bigger in our eyes, right? A magnifying glass doesn't actually make something physically bigger. It just causes you to see something that is already a, a specific size in a bigger way. Just like if you're wearing glasses today. It clarifies what you're seeing. And so I want to talk about rapid repentance. Bill Johnson said something that's pretty deep and profound. He said, hidden sin or undealt with sin is the Achilles heel in the church of today. And so we want to go after this. Again, this is not going to be a heavy topic, so you know, don't worry about it. But I feel like there's, there's some things that we have to, we have to go after because that, that, those sin that's undealt with can keep us from the, the purity that God has called us to. It can keep us from uh, being pure. And when you know, as well as I do, that when you're struggling in something, it hinders your ability to be who you're supposed to be. I'll give you an example, you know. Maybe today you're driving to church and, you know, uh, or, or yesterday, you know, you're getting ready for church in the evening and you had this big blow up in your house, you know. Uh, whatever went down, you know. You're, you're yelling at each other. There's something going on. You're mad at the kids. The kids are mad at you. You feel like you're a bad parent. You feel like, you know, you haven't, uh, you haven't excelled in life um, in, in some area. Maybe, maybe a sister or brother is upset with you for some reason and it's your fault and you know it, but you haven't dealt with it. And, and when these things start to occur in our lives, they hinder us from being who we're supposed to be. They, they, they hold us back because, you know, we tend to look at ourselves and, and uh, uh, we're upset at how things have transpired and it robs us, robs us of our boldness, you know, our boldness for Jesus it robs us not only of our boldness, but also uh, um, robs us of operating in great faith. 
You know, we begin, to, we begin to look at who we are or what we've done, and we allow that to hold us back from who we're called to be. And so we want to deal with the sin thing. We want to go after it. Uh, because I believe that, you know, um, that God not only wants to get us out of the red, if you talk in financial terms, but he wants to get us well into the black. He wants to get us into a place where we're thriving, where we're healthy, where things are good, not just, not just barely scraping by in our faith. He doesn't want us to just, you know, get over the hump, if you will. But he wants us to be uh, successful in, in being led by his spirit, being used by his spirit, loving people. And so um, one of the things that holds us back is hidden sin. And there's a story in the Old Testament um, you're probably familiar with that, uh, that deals with the children of Israel, the children of Israel, where, where there's like great momentum happening for them. Uh, you know, they had just said goodbye to their leader, Moses. But Joshua was challenged to take them into the promised land. And so they crossed the Jordan River after a few victories over their enemies. They crossed the Jordan River. And as they get into the Jordan River, the, the, the uh, enemy of enemies, the, you know, the, one, the stronghold in the promised land, uh, Jericho is right before them. And I mean, it was said of Jericho that the walls were impenetrable. It was impossible to defeat that enemy. It was just, it was just, it was just one of those things like it would be a miracle of God for them to overcome this enemy. And so uh, we're going to pick up our story. They had just defeated Jericho. The walls had just fallen down. And, and I mean, you could imagine if you, were, if you were an Israelite in that day, the, 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 the hope that had risen up in you like, wow, God is really bringing me to a place and us to a place of fulfilling his promises for us. This was an impossible victory, and yet we destroyed them. The walls came down. And, and so there's this great momentum, there's this great health taking place. And, and Joshua chapter 6 ends with this verse. It says, and it's not up on the screen, but it ends with this verse. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. I mean, there was good things happening. It was good. The people were happy. Joshua was happy. Are you happy today? All right, so this was a good day, you know, in, in, uh, in, Israelite, in Israelite folklore, you know what I mean? They were celebrating, they were happy, and, and God had fulfilled one, uh, at least begun to fulfill the promises of getting them into the promised land. In fact, this was the biggest, one of the biggest enemies that they had to face, and a lot of them were by far secondary as far as uh, army and size and towns and villages that they were facing. But the biggest one, the mo- biggest challenge, the greatest challenge was Jericho. And they had just gained victory over Jericho. But something happens in the midst of this. And, and I feel like even now as a church, we are in the, in the midst of momentum. There's God, God is doing some really cool stuff. I'm seeing people that have been here for years just getting passionate for Jesus um, you know, there's, there's new things being stirred. There's, there's life in, in the, our local body. There's momentum in multiple ways. And, and I, I feel sort of like we're positioned like the Israelites were in that day. But we read in Joshua chapter 7, the very next verse, after Joshua's fame was being spread throughout the land, people were talking about these Israelites. The enemy was fearful. Oh boy, they're coming for us, you know, um, But here's what is said in the very next verse. It says, but the Israelites were unfruitful, excuse me, unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Now, there was one thing in chapter 6, before they went into the land to take Jericho, God said, "Um, you know what, I I want you, all the gold, the silver, all that stuff is mine. Now, very typically, when the Israelites would go into enemy territory, God would allow them to plunder the enemy's possessions, gold, silver, uh, clothing, all that stuff. But very specifically, God said, I don't want you to touch that stuff. That's mine. It belongs to me. It's going to go in my storehouse. And so they were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Those were, that's things that were supposed to be given to God. And there's this guy 
named Achan, son of Carmi, Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah. So we've got his, his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather of the tribe of Judah. He took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now, this is an astounding verse to me. One verse, so much is said. And here's what I see in this. That the entire Israelite uh, uh, group of people, two million plus, most scholars believed, two million people were impacted by this one guy. One guy. It, it, it says, in the, early on in the verse, it says that the Israelites were unfaithful. It didn't say Achan was unfaithful, right? And then at the end of the verse, it says, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel because of one person's actions, decisions, sin. And that says a lot to me. It, it says that a movement, momentum, things that are happening can be impacted by seemingly insignificant things or, you know, by a few, by a single person. And so I, I felt like it's important to talk about this whole topic because, you know, it's easy. Let me just tell you something. It's easy to get caught up in the things of the world, all right? But, but the reality is that what we do affects other people. What I as a husband do affects, does affects my wife and my children, right, as a father, it not only affects them, but there's a far-reaching impact that my decisions and actions and even my words uh, uh, carry, right? I can impact a lot of people by being stupid, right? By be- making stupid choices. And uh, this is what we're seeing happen in this guy Aiken's life. This is what we're seeing uh, happen as, as this guy decided to take some things that God very clearly told the people, do not touch them. So this guy Achan, if you go on in the story in, in Joshua chapter 7, he, he, uh, he saw some things that were very appealing to him. There was some silver, I think 30 shekels of silver or something like that, a bar of gold, and this nice polo robe, you know. There was this robe, it was beautiful, and he, and he wanted it, he loved it, and he took it. And so we're told in the Bible that as he took these things, Things that he was not supposed to take. He's touching stuff he's not supposed to touch. As he took these things, he brought them back to his tent and, and he hid, hid them well, buried them, uh, you know, and, and, and so life goes on, you know? And that's the way sin is. We, 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 we make a stupid mistake and then we try and cover it up. We try and bury it. I was going to talk about David, David and Bathsheba, you know, the, he, he tried to cover his tracks without confessing his sin. You know, he touched something he shouldn't have touched. He tried to hide it uh, so it wouldn't be revealed and prominent among the people. So his fame can continue to spread throughout the land. And God dealt with it. You see, God calls us to deal with our sin. And, and so this is what's happening with Achan. So interestingly, God says, to Joshua, okay, your next enemy is this, this little town called Ai. I mean, you know, you want to talk about a small town. You want to talk about an insignificant enemy. You, you want to talk about someone who does not pose any threat. So he sends some generals and some, some, uh, some of his army in there to assess the situation. And they said, oh, this is a small town. You know, uh, we could send 3,000. We don't even have to... Uh, disturb the entire army. Let's just send 3,000 people in there. We'll easily take this town. It's sort of like, you know, uh, uh, America taking, say, say Alaska was enemy territory. America taking some small insignificant place or some place that didn't have an army, you know. It's sort of like uh, the city of Syracuse. If every one of the people of the city of Syracuse marched against Marcellus, it's just be overwhelming. You understand what I'm saying? It'd be an overwhelming victory in the natural. So uh, Joshua heeds the consultation of his generals. He sends some people into Ai to take the land. Well, guess what? They were routed. They were routed. Why? Because of the sin that was in the camp. So, so Joshua falls on his face and begins to cry out to God, why are you doing this to us? What is going on? Now Joshua, mind you, is innocent. He's done nothing. He's done exactly what God has asked him to do. 
And so he's crying out to God, and, and finally God speaks to him and says, there's someone in your midst that have t- has touched the devoted things, that has touched something that they shouldn't have touched. And, and so uh, God gives him the strategy to figure out who it is. They figure out who it is. This guy, uh, this guy Achan confesses to his sin, and it doesn't end well for him. It doesn't end well because he, he, he took something that he wasn't supposed to take. He touched something that he wasn't supposed to touch, and he buried it. Now, listen to me. There's, there's a great analogy here. There's people, there's people who, who are very good at doing the Christian thing that have been touching and taking things that they shouldn't touch or take and hiding it well. And I believe that God wants to expose that, not to embarrass people, but to bring them to a place of saying, God, I want to get this right before you. Why? Because sin in the camp not only affects the person, but it affects other people. Right? And so God wants to take the stuff. He's giving opportunity for the stuff that has been hidden, the stuff that has been buried, the stuff that's uh, been touched to be dealt with. And he's very kind and gracious in dealing with things. But there comes a point where it's exposed to the public, you know? And this is, this is why uh, I feel like God's having us talk about this because God takes sin seriously. He takes sin very seriously. You know, in the New Testament, when Jesus was talking, whether you take this literally or not, you should just, there's some gravity to the statement. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Like, there's some, there's some gravity to the impact of sin. You hear, you hear what I'm saying? And, and so, um, God takes sin very seriously. And, and we don't want to be touching things that we, sh- we shouldn't touch, you know? Or seeing things that we shouldn't see or taking things that we shouldn't take and hiding things that we know we shouldn't have done all those things too. So um, this, this is the example that we see in Achan's life, but it's not the first. You know, for thousands of years, this has been uh, the exposure of the heart of mankind, right? I mean, go back to Genesis. This is, this is pictured in, in, in Genesis with Adam and Eve, right? They, they, there's obviously this tree that has beautiful fruit on it. Everything else in the garden was accessible to them, but this one tree, this one tree, and they end up eating of the fruit, taking of the fruit. And then what do they do? They hide. They, 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 they hide from God. They cover themselves. They're trying to cover their shame, their guilt. It doesn't really work because you really can't hide from God anyway, you know? God knows everything. And, and, and so God approaches them because he loves us. God loves us. His desire is not to punish us. His desire is to take us up higher and bring us to a place where we're in right position with him. He's already made that available to us. And so uh, we see in Adam and Eve, God approaches him and says, Adam, where are you? God knew exactly where Adam was. And he's on the run and hiding. See, that's the, that's the, that's the uh, takeaway from sin that we've got to, we want to hide it. We want to we cover it up. But we have that temptation of taking things that uh, don't belong to us. I referred to David earlier. Let's look at a, a quick passage related to David. Because we think that, you know what, hiding it is okay. But you know deep inside, it kills us. It's sort of sin, hidden sin destroys us. This is what I was talking, to, talking about earlier. Like when we have stuff in our life, it robs us of being who we're supposed to be. We feel inadequate. We feel uh, we feel like uh, unaccepted, you know, if you knew what I really did, how could I love that person? How could I tell them about Jesus? How could I pray for that person and expect God to heal them? Do you know who I am? Do you know what's going on in my life? And the enemy uses that and repeats it over and over again to paralyze us. And he, very, he does a great job of rendering, rendering us ineffective in the kingdom of God. Very much so. And some of us, it only takes a small little thing. I'm not talking about stealing when God said don't steal. I mean, it only takes a small little thing and we feel like, oh, I couldn't do that. There's no way God could use me if you really knew who I was. And maybe we don't say that, but we feel that way. We feel that way. uh, 
David, I referenced David earlier, and he sort of shares his feelings, what he went through when he was trying to hide his sin. And this is the truth of what we go through. I mean, we could smile on the outside, but we're dying on the inside, you know? Uh, We could pretend like everything is okay, but the reality is that it's not, and we know it. And there may be periods of time in our life where things seem okay, but there's always that one trigger that brings up that memory of what we've done. And we're never free from that as long as it remains hidden. And so here in uh, Psalm 32, we get an account of what David said. Verse 3, he said this, When I kept silent, Listen to the description of how he described uh, his feeling related to hiding sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. That is just not a good day. That is not a good day. You know? He goes on to say this. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Now listen to the solution. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I, will conf- uh, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The beauty of it all is Jesus already took care of that sin that you're hiding, you know? If you've got something that, that's secretive right now, if you've got something that no one knows about or very few people know about but you haven't dealt with before the Lord, Jesus already took care of it. He's just waiting for you to ask him to deal with it, you know? I, I mean, it's a beautiful thing when Jesus is like, I'm just waiting. All you got to do is ask. I'm here. I've already paid the price for that sin. You don't need to carry the guilt and shame associated with it. I've already took that on myself. Why would you carry that if I've already taken care of it? It's, it's not for you to carry, but we choose. This is, this is what human nature does. It, it trains us to hide it. Human nature trains us to hide our sin. It trains us to to not go to God, but we'd rather hide it and and carry it ourselves and think no one knows when we really know people know, or at least God knows, right? So human nature trains us to hide it. And then religion trains us to fall on the ground and stay there because of our sin. You know, do you know who you are? I remember what you did. That's religion, pointing the ugly finger. And, And that's not good either because there's no hope in that. There's no restoration in that. Jesus already paid for our sin. He's he's beautiful. He's amazing. God's love for us is so vast that he's taking care of that hidden stuff that is the Achilles heel to the church, the church moving forward. So, so, So human nature wants us to hide it. Religion wants us, beat us down and keep us there. But this is what God says. Bring it to me. Give it to me. And you'll be free. I'll forgive you of it. He invites us to bring it to him. Lay it at his feet so that we don't have to carry it any longer. It doesn't have to be hidden, you know? Uh, And so he wants to restore us. This is at the core of the word repentance. I want to talk to you about what repentance means. Um, Because you may be asking and you may be having experiences from the past that remind you of this word. It's a word that really is old school, you know? Really the church and, and, and the followers of Jesus have gotten away from this topic in a sad sense because really it is the thing that can free people to be who God has called them to be. And so um, this is, this is I, I just want to talk through uh, and sort of give you different angles on what this could look like. What, what does repentance mean? Does it mean confess to the priest? Does it mean, you know, uh, uh, something you have to really feel bad about and, and f- you know, feel bad about what you've done? Does it, does it mean, uh, you know, raking yourself over the coals? You know? Does it, does it mean that, you know, you can never be in a place where God is pleased with you anymore? That's not what repentance means. Uh, for many Christians... the word repentance is tied to an altar call. In fact, like I mentioned before, when I was thinking about this message, that's how it came to me, like, altar. What does God want to do with the altar? And and in a sense, there's a lot of repentance that takes place at the altars of churches throughout our world. There's people that come to Jesus. There's people that confess their sins. There's people that come and just kneel and talk to God and say, you know what? 
this is not right. I want to get it right. So the, in a sense, there's, there's, it carries some meaning related to going to the altar, weeping at the altar. Um, but none of this really uh, fits the definition. Repent means to change the way you think. It means to change the way you think. Um, to sort of like do a 180. Like if I'm going uh, one direction, it means to change and go another direction. A story about uh, some friends that were on a trip. They were on a trip and, and uh, they were traveling uh, one direction. They were going on a little vacation and, and, and so they switched drivers. This is, I, this is my recollection of the story, but it's true. It's a true story. And, and so they switched drivers and then people fell asleep and the driver ended up going the wrong way two hours. Two hours. And when the other people woke up and realized this driver was going the wrong way for two hours, they had to turn around, right? That sort of carries the idea of repentance, turning around and going the right direction. Now, if you break down the word, the English word repent, um, it really is powerful. Uh, the, word, uh, the two letters re, R-E, which is the first two letters of the word repent, means do it again. So we have words like rerun. Rerun that video. It means play it again, right? Rewind. That means go, go backwards, right? Or go again. Remind to put something back in your mind, right? Apparently it, it wasn't in there or you lost it. To restore, to put something back into its original, uh, uh, or its original condition. The word re means do it again, okay? So that's powerful, right? Now the, the pent uh, uh, portion of the word um, alludes to the penthouse, which is the highest level of any building. It's usually the most elaborate, uh, you know, it's the most elaborate, it's the high-end place if you're renting a hotel. It's the, typically the top floor of a building. And the word pent um, carries that, that idea of back to the top. So if you put these two together, God is calling when we repent. God is calling us back to our rightful place, back at the top level. And so repent gets, restores us from where we, uh, we once were, but uh, restores us to where we belong. You see, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing, right? Repentance is a good thing. It doesn't have to remain an old school principle that we don't apply to our lives anymore. Repentance restores us in areas where we've gone the wrong way. It restores us in areas where we've fallen. In fact, you can see this concept uh, very powerfully in two different places. The prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son? He lived in this, this house. He had it well. He had an inheritance coming. Um, his father was good to him. And, and so there was a point in time where he, he, he went the wrong way. But uh, the Bible tells us that he came to his senses. Right? That the son came to his senses and realized he needed to return. That returning carries the idea of repentance. And where he went back to was really good, wasn't it? And the father did what? The father restored him to his rightful place as a son. You see, when we fall, when we make mistakes, when, when uh, we're stupid at times, you know, we think that that's our lot in life. We think because of our actions, that's where we're supposed to stay. But repentance brings us to the place where God intended us to be. So repentance is good. The second, uh, the second place I'll share with you, or the, the, the second story I'll share with you, and this is going to be for the person who's projecting a little bit out of order um, from what you, you have in front of you, is uh, Revelation 2.5. Revelation 2.5 says this. It's very powerful. Jesus is speaking in the book of Revelation to the churches. Eight times we see Jesus use the word repent to the churches in that day. And Revelation 2.5 says, Consider how far you have fallen. You see that? 
So, so they were in a place, it was a good place, and they've fallen out of that good place. Consider how far you have fallen. He goes on to say, repent. Uh, repent and do the things you did at first. Repent and do the things you did at first. So, so this picture shows that they were in one place. They, they retracted. They went backwards. And God is saying, come back to where you belong, your rightful place. Right? Do it again. Come back to the place that you belong. Jesus, his message was all about repentance. In, in Matthew 4.17, this is what he said. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Or is at hand, depending on the translation. Repent. That means, you know what, you are living this way. I have come to change your mind about who God is, God's love, God's goodness, how you're living this life. I have come to, to change some things for you. I've come to call you higher in relationship to God. And that's what Jesus did, right? Didn't he restore relationship between God and man by shedding his blood? And so his message continually, even John the Baptist's message was repent. Because God's calling his people up higher. And the reality is that we've settled, we've come to a place where we feel like we don't have to deal with our sins. You know, we, we talk to someone rudely, we have an attitude here. You know, we make some poor choices here. And we just go on with life instead of changing our mind in that moment. That's why I'm calling this rapid repentance. Now, not all of us, you know, are are thieves like Achan was, you know. But there is a lot of stuff going on in the church of Jesus Christ related to, you know, pornography, fornication, people sleeping with each other, you know, lying, lying. so on and so forth. Those are the bigger things that I really don't even think you, you need the Holy Spirit to prompt you to say you need to deal with that. Okay? Really, where I want this message to go, and this is where I want to settle, is this. We are going after the heart of God. You know? If you have these big outward sins in your life, you need to deal with that because it's going to be very embarrassing if God exposes it. But there's inward things that a lot of us, I think, have come to the place of making light of. You know? I've done it. I'm guilty of it. I talk about patience, like this elusive thing that can, I can never find. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is patience, you know? I, I need to be pursuing that. And then there's things like, you know, inward things, inward things of the heart. Like, you know, things like pride, um, uh, selfishness or, or greed, um, you know, or unbelief. Like this is, I'm telling you, I, I repent a lot. You need to know that as your pastor, I repent a lot. And I hope that we get to the place where we repent a lot because anytime God exposes something to me about who I am or some things in my heart, I'm a rapid repenter. I'm very good at repenting. Because I don't, I, don't want, I don't want something to get between me and God. I'm not ashamed to say that I've got stuff that God's working on me on. And let me just tell you something. The more this series has talked about, you know, prayer and honor and integrity and time in the Word, and the more you spend time, more time you spend in God's presence, the more refined you will be. And as He refines you, there's some ugly stuff that's going to come up. You're going to be reading the word and you're going to catch somebody's attitude or someone's, you know, lack of faith. And, or maybe your lack of faith or your unbelief is being exposed in a certain area. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you need to repent, right? It just means that you just need to deal with it. Take it to God. He's already, he, he, he's, he's exposing it to you by his Holy Spirit so he can help you, right? That's all. And so I want to have a smile on your face when you walk out of here today because the reality is God is so stinking good. He is amazing to us. He is an awesome God. And his desire is to continually draw us closer. And how he does this is by his spirit, he exposes things that cause us to see that we're not like Jesus, but he wants us to be more like him. 
And in the process of us becoming more like him, we realize that there's deficiencies in our lives. And as we realize there are deficiencies in our lives, we don't have to hide. We don't have to say, well, that's Jesus and I'll never be like Jesus. No, the Holy Spirit says that he wants to make us more like him. From glory to glory and faith to faith. And it doesn't have to be the day you're called home to heaven, right? He wants to reveal his church on this earth, a powerful church, a glorious church, a beautiful church. And he does this thing in us. As he reveals stuff to us, we repent, we let it go, we turn around, we change our actions, and we start to go the other way, right? It's a simple process. We cannot look at repentance as a dirty word. It's not. And and so I want to take you through uh, three very quick things that happens when we begin to live a lifestyle of rapid repentance. First of all, repentance helps us grow toward maturity. The Bible tells us this. It helps us grow toward maturity. If you look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings. Now, when we hear the word elementary, that causes us to think of young, immature, yet to grow, those kind of concepts, right? So there were some teachings that were were applicable to us when we were younger in the faith, right? The Bible tells us, let us move beyond those elementary teachings. It doesn't mean we, we shun them, we set them aside. It means that there's more. Okay, so we're going to move beyond these elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. You see that? So, so there's, this, there's these elementary things that uh, once we get those built in our lives as part of the foundation of our lives, now we can begin to grow. Now, it's a tragedy when things that are supposed to grow do not grow. Years ago, in my house... Um, we used to have trouble with plants because we didn't have a green thumb. And so we would have a plant. And say, for example, a friend of ours got the same plant at the same time and, and theirs would be in full bloom, flowers and everything, and ours would be like leaves falling off, you know, things like that. Because they're supposed to grow. It was primed to grow, but it wasn't given the fundamental things to help it grow. And that's not as much the case in our house today or now, but... Um, it used to be a very, very big problem in our house. Now, how about living things that are supposed to grow that relate to humans or animals, you know? Wouldn't it be a tragedy if you had a child and the child was now five years old but was still looking like an infant, acting like an infant, uh, you know? That's tragic, is it not? And so this is, what, this is what's being com- communicated to us by the author that, you know what, there's a time for elementary things and then there's a time for mature things. So uh, the elementary teachings about Christ and be taking forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of what? Repentance. So we are told that repentance is an elementary teaching. Okay? We're told that repentance from acts that lead to death is elementary. And faith in God is elementary. So if we repent from acts that, lead to, acts that lead to death and we begin to apply our faith in God, we are going to grow. Isn't this good? And so we don't want to get stuck. So repentance helps us grow toward maturity. So the way to move forward in God is through repentance. The second one, repentance positions us to walk in kingdom realities. Repentance positions us to walk in kingdom reality. See, see, repentance is the gateway, if you will. It's sort of the door that, that is swung open to return us to our original assignment on earth. You see, we have an assignment on earth. And we get caught up in our sin and our inadequacy and, and the fact that we're not good enough and God's mad at us and, and she said this to me and I'm upset here and I'm mad and we totally walk by people we're called to love. We totally ignore the needs around us because we're self-focused. Let me tell you something. This is a tactic of the enemy. Repentance restores us or positions us to walk in kingdom realities. 
We're positioned because now in my, in, you know what? I, I know I'm clean, right? I, I know God's happy with me. I know God is pleased with me. I've dealt with my junk and I continue to deal with my junk. And so my junk is not holding me back. There's no baggage. I'm not, I'm not towing things behind me, uh, you know, that I've yet to deal with. As God reveals it, I rapidly repent and deal with it. And so it, it positions us to walk in kingdom reality. So, so uh, this, this whole repentance thing, let me just tell you something. For, in large part, it's not even a matter uh, uh, of going to heaven or not. It, it's more of a matter of how much heaven you want inside of you. So you want heaven inside of you? Jesus said, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? Heaven to earth, right? You want heaven inside of you? You want to operate according to God's principles for your life? You want to be positioned where God wants you to be? Rapid repentance is the answer. Here's the final, the final piece. So, so the first one was, repentance helps me grow toward maturity. The second one was, repentance positions me to walk in kingdom realities. Here's the third one. Repentance restores me to God's plan for my life. And it's broken down into three parts. Um, so how does a person repent? When God, when God shows you something about yourself, maybe you've been gossiping and you've been caught, you got caught in gossip. It's pretty embarrassing. But it, it doesn't have to stop there, you know. Now something has been exposed in your heart. And it's good to take it to God. It's good to take it to God and say, God, you know what? There's something going on inside of me that I know you don't like, I don't like, I got embarrassed by it today, and I want to deal with it. Well, how would you deal with it? If God's revealing the fact that, you know, you're prideful or you don't believe me, right? You're, you're, you're hard-hearted. You're loaded with unbelief. I have to continually deal with unbelief. In fact, we're going to do a series called Rethink. I think we're going to call it Rethink because this is going to go after some of the things that we have failed to believe God in. All right? So, um, how do you repent? How do we get restored to God's plan for our lives? First of all, confession. And confession deals with the mind and the mouth. Confession, mind and mouth. All right? So with the mind, we need to begin to agree with God about a topic. So let's just stick with this gossip topic. You, you got caught in gossip. You know the Bible talks about gossip. We shouldn't be gossipers. So we can come to God and say, God, you know what? I, I've gossiped. I, I recognize it's not good. It's a problem in my life. So in my mind, I'm agreeing with God. And I'm going to ask him to change my mind. God, I'm going to ask, God, will you help me to go the other way when the opportunity or the habit begins to arise in my heart? And, and it's loaded with words like this. Because we can repent to people too, by the way. It's loaded with words like this. Deciding in our mind. You are right. I am wrong. Right? It could be humbling. Uh, uh, and, and one of the ways that we, we get to understand in our mind what God thinks is this. Reading more Bible. Right? Getting away from or listen to less of the culture. Because the culture has its own mind and will of its own. Um, but we need to agree with God that the way we think or have been thinking is unacceptable. Yeah. So, so Jesus says that I, you know, I, 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 related to your finances. Listen, uh, you know, um, he'll take care of you. His, his promise is that uh, all, all the riches, listen, he has all the riches. Cattle on a thousand hills. And he'll take care of all your needs. And you're thinking, you know what? You might. Well, it's a good time to repent to say, wait a second, this is what you say this is what I've been believing. And God, I'm going to confess and I'm going to turn around from what I've been believing to begin to focus on what you have said. I'm going to apply faith to it. It's a mind thing. Um, from the mouth, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Or I have no excuse. Um, I stole, I lied, I'm guilty. And don't include butts in this, you know? Because a lot of times when we try and deal with, we try and speak or confess, we have these buts, but, but you said this, but you, you hurt me, or you, you, uh, your actions made me do this. 
uh, but I had a bad childhood. Listen, no excuses. We just need to deal with the matter at hand, confession, mind and mouth, okay? The second part. Now, this is applicable in some cases, not all cases, all right? And I'll, I'll try and break it down for you. Contrition. So confession as the first one. Contrition, which deals with our emotions and our expressions. I'll give you two examples. I could tell my kids when they get caught doing something, or maybe they treated my wife badly, and I could say, you know what? You need to go apologize to your mom, and you need to ask her to forgive you. Now, they can do it without emotion, and it could be right, or they could do it without emotion, and it could be totally wrong. They could do it because they're being told to do it, and it could have no meaning to their heart. You know what I mean? And so, mom, I'm sorry, please forgive me. There's no contrition there. There's no, there's no care at all in your heart, you know? Uh, let me share a, another story. There was a man years ago that came to my office, and uh, something triggered something in his heart, and he knew he was away from God. And he came and wanted to meet with me, and he, he talked to me. And uh, I asked him, I said, do you want to get right with God right now? And he said, yes, I do. And he got down, and I, very typically I say something like this. Listen, I could lead you in a prayer, but it's way more meaningful if you talk to God, and I'll agree with you. And so he, he got down on his knees in my office, he lifted his hands and began to cry out to God. I mean, it was, it was loud. It was emotional. He was broken. I mean, that was, to me, there was an expression like that. This is the real deal. This guy is being moved by the Holy Spirit. He's returning to God. This is raw. This is real. He wasn't trying to hold nothing back. He was expressing his heart. Now, there are times that contrition isn't a part of my my uh, repentance. There's times that I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in God's presence. He reveals something to me, and I'm just like, you know what, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to choose to turn the other way. I don't, uh, there's times I weep. There's times I don't weep. That, that doesn't mean that it's not real. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't mean it's not real. Uh, I don't need to go cut myself or crawl on my knees and bleed all over the place to show that my heart is moved because God knows my heart. And so that's why I said sometimes it's applicable, sometimes it's not. But a lot of times you can, if you're watching a person, you can tell if it's real or not. But we need to be careful not to judge. Here's the last one and then I'll close. So confession, contrition, and change. This is about our will and our actions or our works. Listen, do you want to stop doing what you're doing? You want to change? You want to be different? Uh, there, there's, there's this element of change. The Bible says this in Matthew 3, 7. This is John the Baptist. In 3, 2, he talks, he's talking to the religious leaders of his day, and he's like, you know, you need to repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's one coming after me that's greater than me. And then in 3, 7, I mean, this is, uh, this is just after. There's some harsh words that he uses, but he, he, listen to what he says. But when many of the Pharisees and Sadducees came, this is uh, 3, 7, and 8. Uh, Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him were, uh, where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, you, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, repentance results in, or needs to result in, if it's true repentance, a change, an action. And he's saying, I want to see the change that has happened in your heart as a result of your repentance. Something's going to be different. Your lifestyle is going to be different. If you're stealing and you repent, you steal no longer. Right? right? If you're lying and you repent, you lie no longer. This is, this is very, very basic stuff. But the reality is repentance is a good thing. It's not a dirty word. And let me tell you something as I close. You want to get closer to God? Be a rapid repenter. Be someone who's mastered the art of repentance. Be good at repentance. Because let me tell you something. It, rem it removes the obstacles that, be that are in the way between you and God. And there's always something he'll be working on us on. The reality is the closer we get, the more of his glory is revealed in us. And, and the more stuff that we just have to get rid of. Just face it. We're human beings that are growing to be more like Jesus. This is a good thing, okay? This is a good thing. God is happy today. You know why? Because, because if you begin to live 
as a person that repents before him, that means that you're going to be growing closer to him day by day by day. Amen? God is good. He sent his son to pay the price for our sins. We don't have to hide them. We don't have to carry them. He's already dealt with them. We just need to bring it to him and lay it at his feet. Amen? I want you to stand to your feet as we close. Hallelujah. I just want to pray for you. Today, Father, Lord, I know there's a lot of people in this room, Lord, and we're all in different places in life. God, some of us are like Achan, God. We have some big outward stuff that we're carrying. And it's not fun to carry it, God. And so I pray today, God, today, Father, there'd be a spirit of repentance in this house. Father, that we would, we would walk in a spirit, in a spirit of repentance for the rest of our life, God. Lord, rapidly dealing with stuff that's revealed in our hearts. Not hiding it, not pretending it's not there, not covering it up, not blaming other people, but God, giving it to you. And Lord, even if we give it to you when we fall again, Father, we give it to you again. And Father, we just trust. We just trust that you are going to set us free. You're going to deliver us, Father God, from the things, God, that have kept us from drawing close to you. And so, Father, from the biggest thing in our minds to the smallest little thing, Lord, God, as you reveal it, Father, let us be the kind of people that give it to you, that offer it up, that lay it down, and no longer carry it again, Father. And so today, we confess, Father, with our mouths, we believe in our minds, God, that what you said about sin is true, that it's not good for us, and it keeps us from an intimate relationship with you. And so, Lord, we're going to turn today, Father, and this week and the rest of our lives, we're going to be turning away from sin and being called up to the higher place that you have for us, God. So even now, just take, take 10 seconds, 15 seconds to give it to God. Just, just tell him, just tell him if there's anything on your heart right now, just tell him, God, I give this to you, Lord. I don't want to carry this anymore. I thank you that Jesus has paid the price for me. I was wrong. It's my fault. Thank him for his forgiveness over your life and begin to walk in a different direction. God, we give you praise right now. We thank you that your word has power. We thank you, God, that your spirit leads us, God. And I ask that you fill us and bless us as we go, Father. Thank you for your goodness over our lives. And I bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you.